Hey, good morning. Uh, last Sunday, we started this series, Living Hope, and it was Easter Sunday. Let me tell you about a little bit about last Sunday. Uh, last Sunday, we had 1,625 people participate in some way on Sunday morning here last week. That's the largest Sunday we've ever had. So that was awesome. Uh, but what I, what I really also loved about that Sunday is so many of you like went the extra mile. Uh, some of you went to a different service. Some of you scooted to the center or sat in unusual seats. Uh, some of you, uh, like I think of Wyatt Fulbright, who's a junior at Monterey, saw that at the 10 o'clock, the room was full. It was more than full. <laughs> um, it was very overflow, overfull, overflowing. So we had an outside section, and he gave up his seat in here to go sit out there so somebody could come sit in here. And I love people that just did something above and beyond. People who invited, um, uh, people who served, a lot of you served. Thank you so much for doing that. As you can see, this room is still pretty full. That wasn't the case at 8.30 today. Um, just saying. Uh, we'll see about the uh, 11.30 after that. But thank you so much last week. And the reason we're having two or three services for four weeks, not just Easter, but the th- uh, this week and the next two, is one, we're hitting some capacity issues on a weekly basis, and so we're trying to figure out how do we navigate that going forward. So we're just trying to learn. But the other thing is we thought for this series, talking about hope, we live in a world that needs hope. My world needs hope. Uh, I have friends that need hope. And so we wanted to talk about it uh, for really uh, for five weeks, Easter and the four weeks that follow, and make room in between now and Mother's Day to invite some others. Uh, but I'll be honest, as we talk about this thing, hope, Last week we said this, that Jesus is our living hope. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth, something new, a new start, into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And what we said is, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we have no hope. But if he did, we do. It starts there. Jesus is the starting point. The resurrection is the starting point. But then I asked the question, I talked about Shawshank Redemption, great movie, um, it's a little bit rough, but it's a good movie. But one of the themes of the movie is hope. And Red, at one point, tells his friend, Andy Dufresne, uh, hope's a dangerous thing. If you have hope, even Proverbs says that. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Like, hope can mess with you. But at the end of the movie, when Red's leaving his, breaking his parole and going to meet his friend Andy, who escaped from prison, and he's crossing the border at Fort Hancock into Mexico, and he says, I hope, to see my, I, hope I can cross the border. I hope to see my friend again. I hope that the Pacific Ocean is as blue as I picture it in my mind. And the last two words of the movie are, I hope. Hope is a verb. Hope isn't something just that you have. It's something you do. The problem is, I'm not very good at hoping. I'm not that good at it. I'm not an expert in hope. And so as I'm teaching through this series, I'm teaching as a learner of someone who wants to hope well, but often doesn't. Because one, my nature is to question everything anyway. Um, some of it, I have some circumstances that I just can't quite figure out. And they've taken a toll on me. And one of the things that takes a toll on us first is the area of hope. So I'm trying to learn how to hope well. How do you do that? And it's an elusive term, not just for me, but for many. And if you've ever looked at the world, you saw a headline, and you thought, Why? Why would God allow that? You're in good company with a guy in the Bible named Habakkuk. 
And I'll be honest, I had never, I've read through the book of Habakkuk before because I've done one of those read through the Bible in a years that it took me a couple years to get through, but I eventually did. And I, I read through the Bible in a year, it just took me two and a half to do it. Uh, but I, I'm, I know I went through it, I just never stopped there. And Habakkuk's going to be a role model and a guide for us in this series. And I was introduced to him through a guy named Craig Groeschel, who's not in the Bible. But last year he was speaking at the Global Leadership Summit, and Live Oak participates in that, and and I got, re, I, I'd known about him. Um, he's a pastor at, at life.church. And um, he introduced this book, his newest book. I was introduced to that through the Global Leadership Summit. And I read it, and it had an immediate impact on me. And one of the best things he did in this book, Hope in the Dark by Craig Rochelle, is he introduced me to Habakkuk. And as a kid, I had heard the name Habakkuk. I thought they were saying tobacco. I didn't, I didn't know kind of who he was or I thought someone was clearing their throat. I just didn't know much about him. And in Hope in the Dark, he focuses on this book of the Bible, Habakkuk. And honestly, Craig Rochelle is going to be more of a teacher in this than me at times because what he taught me about hope through this that I'm still navigating was so helpful, I wanted to pass it on. And in Habakkuk 1, we're introduced to this guy, the prophecy. Prophecy, this word literally means, it doesn't mean an encouraging word. It means a doom, a weight a burden, an ominous utterance. Habakkuk has this thing, this weight on his shoulders, and it's a burden. And what he does with that is he lives up to his name. Habakkuk, his name literally means to embrace and to wrestle. Or maybe to translate that for some of us, to wrestle. <laughs> to embrace and to wrestle. He embraces his faith in God, but he wrestles with his questions. Habakkuk is, is one of the 12 minor prophets in the Old Testament. Didn't ever make the majors, I guess. He was a temple musician and a priest. And usually a prophet speaks to the people on behalf of God. And a lot of times it's not the best news. It's like, God's got a message. We need to turn our lives around. Like it's usually something like that. In Habakkuk, it's very different. He speaks to God on behalf of the people. And he speaks to God in very raw, real emotion, questioning, maybe even doubting. And the reason that's good for us is we need to know it's okay to do that. It's okay to wrestle with our questions and doubts and pain. And we live in a world that's not a sitcom world. Like as a kid, I would watch sitcoms, and I don't know what the sitcom was of your generation. I was a like, it wasn't my generation, but my dad always watched the Andy Griffith Show, and I love the Andy Griffith Show. Uh, the Brady Bunch, Gilligan's Island. Maybe yours is The Office or Parks and Recreation or something else. I don't know what it is for you. But, like, in sitcoms, things are good, something happens, and then things resolve. My life doesn't do that. There are lots of things unresolved in my life. And there's no da 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 and it's in. Like, it just keeps going, and there's keep questions and things to wrestle with. And Habakkuk asks questions about God and to God, and the big question he asks is, why doesn't God seem fair? Habakkuk uh, chapter 1, verse 2 and following, it says this, How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or I cry out to you, violence, but you do not save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? 
And Habakkuk has this issue because what he knows and believes about God, what he embraces, he has a hard time reconciling that with what he sees in the world. Has that ever happened to you? It might have happened this week. I mean, hundreds of people die worshiping on Easter in another country. And we're like, God, really? They were there for Easter worshiping you and you let them die? That doesn't seem fair. That doesn't seem right. Or sometimes it's not a headline that gets us. It's a, something personal in our life. We lose a relationship. We lose our health. We lose our finances. We lose our way. Something happens. I think, God, why? What he saw in the world and what he believed about God did not line up. He goes on in verse 3. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There's strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. You get the idea that he's throwing up his hands going, none of this makes sense. He really has three issues with God. Basically, he tells God, you really don't seem to care when I thought you do. You aren't doing much when I think you could. And what you are doing doesn't seem fair. And those are his issues that run through these three chapters of this book, Habakkuk. And there's that why question. What's the purpose of this? Why would you allow this? And one of the things that Habakkuk kind of models for us is God meets him here. It's okay to ask questions to God. Even questions with a lot of pain, even anger behind it. As a matter of fact, a third of the book of Psalms are called lament psalms. Why? How long? Where are you? What are you doing? And it's prayers from anguish and heartbreak and pain and doubt. Several books of the Bible, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ecclesiastes, these books that are wrestling and embracing. Jesus, even in the garden before he goes to the cross, before he's arrested, he's wrestling with this, God, if there's any other way. And he has such anguish that it has a physical response as he navigates this, the lack of fairness of the cross. And if that's where you are, if you're in a place where you're asking questions or you're wrestling with questions, something good can happen here. We've all talked, you've probably heard the term like there's ups and downs in life, right? Mountaintops and valleys, you've heard a term like that before? Like sometimes they use it, I think it's called like an S-curve. Um, go ahead and yeah, go up here. My drawing is so good, it needed to be magnified. Um, <laughs> we're talking about hope and how hope grows. And hope's a cousin of faith, so we're going to use those somewhat interchangeably, although they're a little bit different. But a lot of times life, it has ups and downs. And how we navigate those really does matter. I like the ups. Things start turning up. Things are going well. I show up to the mall. I show up to Home Depot, and I got a spot up front. I go to see the Avengers, and I get tickets first try without even checking another theater. And it's on an aisle. I go show up to work. I was, I was up for a promotion, and I got it. I go to the doctor, and he says, what are you doing? This is great. 
I mean, things are just going well. I ask for a yes, I get a yes. And things just seem to be falling into place. And life is so great. And then all of a sudden, I show up at the mall and I get that spot, but then someone dings my door. Bad. And I'm so mad, I'm driving home and I get a ticket. But I'm mad at what they did. And then I get a call from a parent, my parent, an aging parent. And their health isn't good. They're not sure what's going on. It doesn't seem good. You show up to work and, and you tr- go for the promotion, but they find out, well, you didn't get the promotion. And actually, your services are no longer required. You show up to the doctor and you think it's just a simple little deal, but you find out, no, it's big. And we're not sure what to do, but we're, we're not optimistic. You try to make ends meet, and not only are you not gaining ground, you seem to be losing ground, like this thing after thing, something happens, and all of a sudden you find yourself in what we would call like the valley. Maybe some of you are there right now where just life doesn't seem to be going well. And it's a dark place. Henry Blackaby in his Bible study, Experiencing, or Experiencing God, calls it the crisis of belief. Of, yeah, the crisis of belief. There's that place where what you're experiencing and what you believe doesn't quite line up and it requires a step of some kind of faith, of belief, of hope to keep going. Not wishful thinking, I hope it works out, but hope, no, I believe in who God is and that he has purpose in this place and he has a plan and he can use even this, however bad it is, for his good purposes. And when you find yourself in the valley, that place where no one really wants to be, You need to be reminded of something. I need to be reminded of this. That when you see a farm that's thriving, it's usually not on a hilltop, on a a mountain. It's usually in a valley. Valley is fertile soil. Good things grow in valleys. So do bad things. And when you have a crisis of belief, there's two choices. To give up or to go on. But sometimes the reality we're facing, we don't have the energy to go on. I can't reconcile. How could could I hear this, experience this, have this, and God's good? I can't even pick up my foot to take a step to go on. There's a third choice. You can give up. You can give up on life. You can give up on the relationship. You can give up on your faith. You can give up. Or you can go on, but there's a third choice that makes that go on possible. And it's to wrestle. To embrace what you know to be true, but wrestle, honestly wrestle with the questions. And God's a big boy, he can handle it. And he takes it, he listens to it from Habakkuk. And he says, go ahead and wrestle. But there's something about that wrestling that God can use for his good purposes to build a deep hope and a strong faith. James, the brother of Jesus, said this in James chapter one. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Insert whatever trial you're going through or you will go through someday. You're supposed to consider that pure joy. How you consider it matters. And it's not that it's good, but God says, I can use it for good because you know that this this experience down here, the testing of your faith produces perseverance. The ability to go on even when you don't want to or you can't even. Perseverance, the ability to keep going. 
Let perseverance, please let that finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Good things grow in valleys. But we don't like it down here. It's dark. It's a weight. It's heavy. You can get stuck there. You can keep going, or you can give up. Or you can wrestle. And this testing of your faith, whenever I heard that word, testing of your faith, I thought it like school, like a test at school, right? Well, let's just see how big your faith is. Like it's the driver instructor, you know, when I'm going for my license. Well, let's just see how good a driver are you. Not that my driving instructor did that. If they're here today, like you did a great job. I passed the second time. It wasn't your fault the first time. Like, we're good. I I thought of that kind of test. Well, let's see what kind of faith you have. That's not what that word means. That word isn't like, let's see what kind of faith you have. Let's see what kind of faith you can have. It can grow to be. It can become. God's agenda in your life every single day, every single one of you, is to develop a deep, deeper, and deepening faith and trust in him. And he'll use everything for that one purpose, to connect you to himself and develop a deep faith. And sometimes it requires a trip through the valley. And there's that encouraging word from David in the Psalms that he talks the most famous, famous Psalm, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. And what does he say? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you're waiting on the mountaintop. No, he didn't say that. I will fear no evil for you are with me. And the two things that I kind of lean into to try and fan the flame of hope and build a deep, a strong hope and a deep faith in God is to believe that in every situation, up, down, and in between, is there is purpose in that place and he is present in that place. The testing of your faith, it's to grow a deepening faith that will serve you well because it will help you keep going. And ultimately, you become the person God created you to be. What will you lack? Nothing. You'll be complete. But it requires a trip through the valley. Uh, The staff um, that are in leadership here at Live Oak we also kind of function as a small group at times because uh, we just feel like we do life together and we want to study some things together. So we started reading Hope in the Dark together. It was my second time uh, through the book, and we're actually going through it currently. And this last week, when we were kind of having our, at lunch, having a, a book discussion over this book, uh, Allie McAnally made a great observation. Uh, and I, I have to give her credit because, like, she's in the room, and, like, she would know, like, I stole her stuff if I did it. So uh, she said, you know, when you get through the valley... In your rearview mirror, in hindsight, you look at that and go, oh, I grew from that. Actually, something good came from that. And we have more gratitude once we're through it, right? And she made this point. She said, the trick is that when you're in the moment, not to ask, how do I get out of here? But instead ask, how do I grow here? Honesty. Honesty completely for me. My first question is usually, how do I get out of here when things are tough? In the last 24 hours, I feel like I was asking that how do I get out of here question, not how do I grow here question. But God wants me to grow in there, and sometimes he gets us out of there. But what about the times he doesn't? How do we reconcile that? There's purpose here. He's doing something. 
And whether he allowed it or he sent it, it's a part of our life and he says, I can use it. There's purpose here. But also, he's present here. He's with us in the valley of the shadow. His presence, and he's always, sometimes in very subtle ways, wants you to remember that he's with you. That's why it can have purpose. I've told this story before, but uh, one of my favorite songs is the song, Don't Stop Believing" by Journey. And if I'm driving and it's on, I'm singing. I've got to. Do you have that kind of song? If you don't, what's wrong with you? Like, this is that kind of song for me. And actually, I think there's someone in this room that pulled up next to me one time when I was singing that song. Like, I, I've got to sing it if I hear it. So this one day, I was living in Dallas at the time, and there was a place called Boston's Pizza. I think it's closed down now. And it was like 3 o'clock. So those who work in food service, like, sometimes the restaurant gets kind of empty, but you're still there. There weren't many people in the restaurant working. No one there besides me but I'm waiting for someone to show up a little bit later for an interview for something else. So I'm standing there and I get up to go to the restroom to do restroom stuff. And as I'm in there, hey, just come on, privacy, please. So <laughs> I'm inviting you into the story, not, not too much though. So like I'm in there and, I'm, and, and things are happening and, and um, the song comes on the radio. And so what do I do? Look around. I sing. Don't stop. Believe in. And the acoustics were great. I sounded amazing. And then, from one of the restroom stalls, I heard, <clears throat> I may have skipped washing my hands as I got out of there. But when he walked out and we're the only ones in the restroom, I'm like, well, how are you? Please sit down for the interview. It's like, ah, it's so embarrassing. But there's that moment, right? Like he cleared his throat. Uh-uh. Just a subtle way, not to embarrass me, just to say, hey, I'm here. <laughs> Act like it, right? That, see, God does that sometimes. Like in subtle ways, he's like, uh-uh. I'm here. You don't have to be afraid. I know what you're going through. And it's not good, but I can use it for good. There's purpose in this place because I'm present with you in this place. C.S. Lewis has this great comment, quote about God's highest agenda is not our immediate happiness, but our eternal joy, our spiritual growth, the condition of our hearts, and a deep abiding faith in him. The problem is we try to create a world up here where God is not required. And to be honest about my faith, if I live up here and never live down there, I don't know if I seek God as much as I would. We try to build a world where God is not required. But what is required is he knows that he is required for our lives and a deep faith in him will serve us well. So he allows us to wrestle. And then the thing is in Habakkuk, God actually responds to him. And he does more than just kind of, like he responds. And he says this in verse five, look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. You're not gonna believe this. For I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe, even if you were told. And I bet Habakkuk is like, thank you. Yes, make it right. Fix it. Show me your care. Show me your fear. Show me that you can do something. You will do something. You can do something. But this is not a sitcom. He doesn't say, and everything's made right. Da, 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 da. 
and the credits roll. Instead, he tells him something that Habakkuk could not wrap his head around. I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings, not their own. They are feared and dreaded people. They all come intent on violence. And what he tells them is they're coming your way and they're going to take what's not theirs. They're going to be violent. And life as you know it is going to be turned upside down and what you can't reconcile now is going to get worse. To which Habakkuk said, huh, that's, that's not really what I expected. That's not the why I was looking for. Like, I don't understand. Like, I thought I was here. And that's the thing about when you get down to the valley, you think, man, I've hit rock bottom. There's always a few more floors down, right? And they find out that, no, they're going, it's going to get even worse. And God's going to use it. But he doesn't get it. It makes no sense. It doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem right. And what Habakkuk shows us, what others in the Bible show us, is that a, a sincere follower of Jesus can both wrestle with honest questions and embrace a sincere faith. You can do both. And sometimes both are required. Sometimes I think we're afraid to acknowledge the questions. Not because we're worried about God's response, but we're worried about our own. Jesus had this interaction with a guy who was a dad, and it was his kid that was suffering. And he sees what's going through, and he says, I, you know, can you do something? And he says, I can if you, you know, if you believe. And he says this in Mark 9, 24. I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. Like he embraced, I believe, but I'll be honest, I don't understand. Can you work with what I have and help me with what I don't? I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. And Jesus does not respond, well, why don't you come see me when you can just believe, period. A little faith in a big God goes a long way. He meets us at our place of suffering, question, doubting, pain, discouragement. He meets us there. But it doesn't always make sense. So you embrace and you wrestle. Habakkuk responds, Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, you will never die. He's embracing some things. You, Lord, have appointed them, like he's questioning now, he's wrestling. You appointed them to execute judgment. You, my rock, my redeemer. Like, I'm, I'm embracing that. That's who you are. You've ordained them to punish. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent? Why the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves. Have you ever seen that in life? The good people going through a lot of pain? And people that seem that they aren't that good, experiencing a lot of success, and you go, I don't get it. Habakkuk didn't either. 
But Habakkuk both wrestles and embraces. He, does, he says, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. I'm embracing some things, but I'm wrestling. And it may be such a degree that I'm actually wrestling. Like it's sincere wrestling. And I think God lets us, meets us here. I think he allows us to come to him with our questions, even when we shout him, because I think he would rather us shout to him our questions than walk away from him. He cares. So he says, wrestle. And I'm not fighting you, but I'm with you as you wrestle with your questions. In any situation you go through, there is always purpose. There's always a why. There's always a why. There's always a purpose. We're asking why, why, why. There's always a why. There's always a purpose. However, he does not always tell us the why. There's some things in my life where I still don't know the why. But I believe there is a why. But the great thing is, as God says, but you can always ask me why. You can always ask why. You can always ask why. Because there's always a why but I may not tell you. Habakkuk has three chapters, and chapter one is not very good. Chapter two is not much better. And again, life's not a sitcom. But there's something that happens as Habakkuk wrestles with these questions, and he embraces and wrestles. He lives up to his name. And he gives us this idea that hope is more than wishful thinking. But it takes a journey, sometimes through some dark places. But that's where faith grows. That's where it's strengthened. That's why even though sometimes God seems absent, in hindsight we think, I've never seen, felt a sense that he was even more present. Craig Rochelle, in his book, says this, what if honestly asking, or excuse me, acknowledging your doubts is the first step toward building a deeper faith? What if embracing your secret questions opens the door for a maturing knowledge of God's character? What if drawing closer to God, developing genuine intimacy with him, requires you to bear something that feels unbearable? To hear him through an ominous utterance, to trust him in the moment of doom, to embrace his strength when you feel weak with a burden? What if it takes real pain to experience deep and abiding hope? question we're asking today is what if hope is more than wishful thinking well it is but it's not that easy so we continue to wrestle with that question and I know it's more than wishful thinking because it's a hope that can handle our toughest questions our biggest doubts and our deepest pain and part of us as we go through that journey with this it was just a stroke of a pen to go through the valley and get back up here for many of us, we've been waiting a long time to get out of the valley. So next week, we're going to talk about hopeful waiting. How do you have hope when you're waiting and waiting and waiting? And for those of you that right now are in the valley and struggling, my prayer for you today and throughout this series is that you would wrestle and embrace, but remember this in Romans, Paul's prayer for them and Paul's prayers for us, my prayer for us is that he is the God of hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit.
It's the power of the Holy Spirit. It's his presence in your life that sometimes does his best work here where a deep faith, a strong hope, joy and peace show up as you develop a deep trust in him. Hey, again, this book, I highly recommend it, Hope in the Dark by Craig Groeschel. It's a fantastic book. If you, if you use the YouVersion Bible app, there's a 12-day reading plan that's got a devotional and some scriptures for 12 days, and I've gone through it twice. I'm about to start it again tomorrow. And if you want to join me in it, uh, send me a friend request, and I'll send you an invite or something, or just go through it and, and find, go through it with somebody. But it's, it's, a, it's a very helpful thing as you process what it means to have hope in the midst of the dark situations where it's hard to reconcile who God is. Um, let's stand for closing prayer. And one of the things I want to remind you of is we're doing this giving initiative. Uh, and for the next two Sundays, up until Mother's Day, you can bring back these larger, extra-large, overnight underwear, diapers. And when kids have been through a trauma background, sometimes nighttime is a rough time. And this is a way to serve them and hopefully bring hope to them and the people that care for them. And so if you're in a place where you lack hope, sometimes... Helping others is a way to keep going forward. Um, so I encourage you to participate in that, but bring those to the next two Sundays, the collection area out front. Heavenly Father, thanks that you love us enough to show up at the cross, but not just show up there. And thanks that the tomb is empty, but you didn't just show up there. You've offered to show up in our lives, and it's your presence that brings joy and peace, a deep trust, and an overflowing hope. Some of our cups are very empty in regards to hope. So I pray that you, the God of hope, would remind us that in whatever situation we're in, each and every situation, good, bad, or ugly, you are with us, you are for us, and you can use everything for your good purposes to help us develop a deeper connection, trusting faith in you. And I pray you would do that in our lives. And for those who are struggling right now, strengthen them on this journey And give us all the courage to embrace and to wrestle. And thanks for giving us permission to do that. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you'd like to talk, I'll be down here at the front.